All right, I'm here with Spencer Hendel for best hour of their day. Spencer, welcome to the show. You there, Spencer? Yep. All right. Is the is the uh, internet in Massachusetts terrible, or is it just in your house? Um, apparently, it's apparently. Apparently it's just in my house. <laughs> it's a dead, it's a dead zone, but that's fine. We'll make this work. So I want to kick this off by talking about, um, your handstand pushups real quick, because we just had a, yeah. one of our mentor calls and best hour of their day. And I've had Hinshaw on and you are a part of his aerobic capacity seminar stories. Did you know that? Uh, yes, I did know that. All right. He, so he's not just talking about you. He, he's made it, you know, that he talks about you. He's, he's told me several times that he's talking, he talks about me. Okay. So one of our members, David has been to the seminar. He's heard us talk and he was curious how your handstand pushups have developed since then. And maybe what you can do for the listeners that are, are not aware, kind of give the background of the story. Uh, um, you want me to more so give you maybe how I've improved my handstand pushups throughout my career or just what uh, Coach Hinshaw was talking about? Well, let, let's talk about all of it, but let's maybe we need to paint a better picture. Spencer Hendel is approximately six foot two, which in the CrossFit world is tall. You know, being tall is good for yeah. basketball, not so much for CrossFit. So while you're great at, you know, you're uh, great at everything. Levers usually don't work that well. Right. But in fairness, you're better than most at just about any movement, including handstand pushups. But things like rowing, things like wall ball, you're exceptional at. But handstand pushups have always been in your, uh, one of your weaknesses, if you will. Yeah, definitely. So, so talk to me about it. How did you meet up with Hinshaw, how did he go about improving your handstand pushups? And most importantly, if someone's listening, how can they implement that into their own training? I, I think the biggest thing I think Hinshaw taught me, you know, I, we, you know, we worked together several times was you need to push the musculature to a certain point you know, to the point of lactic acid and muscle fatigue. And then you need to recover, but recover by doing a similar movement in a different plane. So take a handstand push-up, for example, you know, we're upside down, we're banging out in handstand push-ups, blah, 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 blah. Let's say we go for, I don't know, a max, a max set. All right, maybe we get, let's call it 10. And then after you do your max set of 10, he'll usually have you do, um, you know, take a PVC and do a standing strict press for like 30 seconds, not for speed, not for time, not for reps or anything like that, but just moving for 30 seconds just to clear the lactic acid, but use it, but use the same musculature that you would be using in a handstand pushup. Um, and it was that thought process that he uses for a lot of CrossFit movements, not just specifically handstand push-ups, but with me, 
you know, I guess, you know, he just found, you know, that if you struggle with these, you know, bodyweight gymnastics, you know, this was a, a great way to, you know, accelerate improvement uh, in those in those movements. And so for me, handstand push-ups being a huge weakness, uh, this worked out really well for me. What did they go from to, you know, or what was your maybe a, a reference of 100 for time, or did you have a max effort set that jumped up by a certain number of reps? Yeah, I think when I first started, um, you know, you know, in in really getting after and training my 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 weaknesses and handstand push-ups being one of them, you know, maybe starting with something like twelve to fifteen, you know, strict handstand push-ups before you know reaching failure, and then by the end, you know, even like like today, you know, probably being able to do somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five to thirty. Impressive. I mean, so clearly that worked. What are some other ways you implemented Hinshaw's protocol? Um, I really enjoyed and, and found it helpful uh, when, it, when it was a really big, um, like, uh, not necessarily a leg day. It was more so like heavy breathing, like, you know, like, a, like an interval style workout where like, you go like really, really, really hard for two or three minutes, like try to push, push, push the pace as fast as you can push it. And then during your recovery, you know, you would do like slow air squats just to once again, try to clear the fatigue and try to get your body pumping fresh blood back through the body to carry oxygen to those muscles and try to get your body to recover faster rather than collapsing on the floor or bent over trying to gasp for air or something like that, like forcing your body to use the musculature to shuttle fresh oxygen and fresh blood to the fatigue musculature. Yeah. I mean, Hinshaw is really, really smart in that stuff. So it's clearly if people are listening, they should go back and listen to that episode and they should check out his seminars out there. Now, you turned kind of like the magic number in CrossFit recently, 30, right? You're 30. Yeah. These days. I'll be 31 in October. 31 in October. What does that mean for someone as high level of an athlete as you for recovery? Um, I've always been pretty good about stretching and, uh, you know, making sure that I don't overtrain. I think, you know, a lot of people in competitive CrossFit feel like they have to do, you know, everything under the sun every single day in order to be the best in the business, which I don't think that that's true. There's a lot of athletes out there competing even still today that, you know, do, you know, two sessions a day, but, you know, don't try to get in, you know, three hours of work in each of those sessions, you know, maybe an hour, 90 minutes each session, and they make it you know, short, sweet to the point, they get after it as hard as they can and they work hard for 60 to 90 minutes and that's all they need to get better and maintain and compete at the high level. You, you're you actually somebody, you know, we've worked together a handful of times on staff and I distinctly remember talking to you and you at the time were like, I would take two days completely off. Yeah, I do. 
when I was competing, it was like um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest Thursday, or no, it was, sorry, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were working, rest Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, rest Thursday. So it was two days on, one day rest, three days on, one day rest, just to emulate, you know, what it would be like during a competitive weekend, because regionals was always three days long. Uh, the CrossFit Games, a vast majority of the volume of the CrossFit Games is done on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, you know, just training your body in that sense. Do you think that's the biggest mistake CrossFitters are making, not taking enough rest? Or do you think there's something else that's going on in the, in the, at the box level? Um, I don't think people are focused enough on moving for quality of repetition as opposed to quantity of repetition. I think there's too much focus on, you know, once three, two, one goes like all thought of, you know, proper movement patterns and form and function go out the window and it's just, can you complete the task with the shittiest form ever? Excuse my language, but. I think the people that have consistently been at the top over and over and over again, you know, you look at a guy like Rich Froning, you look at a guy like Matt Frazier and even, um, you know, um, and um, Vellner, uh, you know, all those guys, you know, they, they move well. Um, you know, they don't move like, you know, dog crap. You know, it's like they move fast, but they move well. So as, as a high-level coach, you've been on the CrossFit seminar staff, you've owned boxes in the past, you're currently part of the One Nation crew. What do you do as a coach to get people to understand it? Because it's, I think, easy to say, hard to implement. Right? Yeah. We, you and I get it, people on staff get it. You need to move well for, for safety reasons and ultimately technique versus intensity. The better you move, the more intensity you'll eventually elicit. But at that moment, it's hard for them to get it. What are some things you do to get people to understand that? Um, well, I try to, I'm, I'm, uh, I like to be more of a realist and I like to be honest with, uh, with people. And if, you know, an athlete approaches me or it doesn't even have to be a competitive athlete, it could just be a member at the gym. If they approach me about getting better, and being better and getting fitter and moving towards their results and that whole deal, I'll, I'll straight up tell them, I'll be like, listen, you move like crap. Not necessarily like that, but I'm saying like in a nice could, way, in a nice way, you could move better. You could be doing this better. You could be doing that. And when I tell you to, you know, send your butt back in a, in a, in a dip and hold and you just shoot your, shoot your hips forward or shoot your knees forward and, you know, give me a muted hip. That's why your lower back's hurting. You know, when you don't listen to me, you know, that's where you could be doing better. So it's, you know, I'll be honest with them, but it's also one of those things where you talk the talk and you walk the walk. You know, I've been there before. I've done that. You know, I've taken the time to, I've, I've taken the time to also put in the time to, you know, focus on technique and focus on form and function and then ultimately ramping up the intensity. I think, Every minute on the minutes are always great for that type of stuff. You know, just getting in a certain number of reps within a minute and then maybe doing that with a couple of different exercises. 
you know, it's a, it's a way to build volume, but it's also a way to maybe you don't have to go all out and focus a little bit more on technique. So, you know, we've talked about handstand push-ups. That was a movement you needed to improve capacity. Yep. What's a movement that you needed to actually improve your technique on? Oh, man. If I look back at old, old videos of me, even like pre-college, like in college, like I remember uh, my snatch. Like I was just like, I would just rip the bar off the floor and it was just one movement from the ground to overhead. I don't think I ever opened my hips. Um, I, I had an early arm bend. I mean, Coach Bergner would look at that thing and just be appalled. So, and I remember working with Coach after the 2009 CrossFit Games because that was my first games. And then it was also the first time that I was introduced to a max effort snatch. And uh, I remember Coach B saw me as I somehow, even with, you know, t horrible technique, I still managed to put 225 over my head. And uh, Coach Bergner was like, man, this, this, this dude is strong. And with a, little, uh, with a little technique and, you know, coaching, like he could, you know, do some big things. So I remember working with him and he, he really helped me uh, Put together my snatch and then also uh you know my signature so it's good so let's let's talk about coach b he was on the podcast and he talked about how you know one of his biggest lessons as a coach was keeping it simple he talks about a story about you know one of his little girls that he was coaching saying hey just tell me to jump what were what were some of the things you remember coach b teaching you that made it really click for you I mean, it's exactly that. I mean, his cues are simple. I mean, he's done it his whole life. And I think as a new coach, and this goes for, you know, anyone that's starting out as a coach, you just get caught up in the verbal diarrhea and you want to explain why you want this person to do this. You want to just use as many words as you possibly can when ultimately just how are you going to get them from point A to point B? Like, how are you going to get them to open their hips? It could be as simple as Coach B puts it, just jump. It could be as simple as squeeze your thighs, squeeze your butt. You know, there's all kinds of ways that, in simple ways that you can get somebody to do something. You just have to be creative and ultimately be okay with not unveiling your entire knowledge base or your entire brain on this individual that really ultimately doesn't care about how much you know they just want you to be able to get them from point a to point b yeah i mean that's really what's funny they don't care and we say that in a good way they just want yeah, to move better yeah. they want to look better they want to feel better but so you've been a coach now in in the cross world for probably about 10 years right yeah yeah a little bit more yeah do you think part of that is or what would you say is it more so that newer coaches are just inexperienced, so they talk to make up for that lack of experience? Or is it because they're so new, they need to kind of get you to realize they know what they're talking about? You know, for someone like you and I, I think our ego is gone. We don't need it. We know we're a good coach, so yeah. jump jump gets it done. But yeah. for, so what are some things we can tell newer coaches listening to help them go from that verbal diarrhea to jump? Oh, repetition after repetition. I mean, I, I think a coach shouldn't start 
in a huge class. I mean, I think a coach should start with an on-ramp. I mean, they should start like one-on-one. They should start with two-on-one, three-on-one, and just kind of go from there. I think with the more people, the coach kind of gets frazzled and overwhelmed, and they feel like, you know, it's it's hard for them to to coordinate and deliver the proper experience to a large class in the beginning. But other than repetition, I think confidence is a big thing. Um, you know, if you're not confident in the material that you're delivering, delivering, if you don't feel like you 100% know exactly what you're talking about, I think the newer coach tries to talk themselves into whatever it is that they're teaching or talk themselves into thinking that they know the material. But if you're confident in the material that you're delivering, if you like know it like the back of your hand, I mean, you'll go into that class and deliver, you know, a really good class. As you were developing as a coach. So when, do you remember when you actually first started coaching CrossFit? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you did it for your father, right? I did. My, uh, my dad owns two gyms down in uh, Charlotte, CrossFit Charlotte and Reebok CrossFit Charlotte Uptown. Yeah, and for those that don't know Spencer's father, he's also a part of the seminar crew, former professional football player. I mean, your dad's got to be pushing 60 at this point and he's a monster of a man still. He is 58. All right, that's close. Yeah, don't, don't tell, uh, him, I said, don't tell no, him I said 60. No, no he's, he's an awesome human being. So, you, you know, you start coaching CrossFit. Obviously, under the tutelage of your father, you have an advantage there. But... How did you develop and, and how bad were you when a you lot of people, began? A lot of people don't know this story, Jay. Um, oh, it's a, it's a special this, story for best hour of their day. This, this, might, this might be a new story for even you. Um, so I started coaching at CrossFit Charlotte with my dad and I grew up around CrossFit. I mean, I, I, was, I grew up around it in, in high school. I mean, I started my first CrossFit class and like my junior year, like 2007. Um, but, uh, so I knew everyone in the gym, like I could turn my back to the class and, you know, I could say Sally's back there in the back, her knees are caving in, Jim's over there. He's not opening up his tip and this, that, and the other thing is like, I knew exactly what I was going to say to Jim. I knew exactly what I was going to say to Sally. And ultimately I got comfortable. I got complacent with, you know, who I was coaching and what I was doing. And it, and, and, you know, to speed the story along, it came up that um, CrossFit, Reebok CrossFit One was looking for some coaches. And, uh, you know, I was friends with Austin Maliolo and Denise Thomas at the time. And, you know, I, I kind of sent them an email and was like, hey, you know, I'd love to come up and interview and maybe get the opportunity to coach in front of you guys. And, you know, maybe try to get the job or whatever. And they were like, yeah, come up and you know, we'll have you coach like a week or so and, you know, see how it goes. And long story short, I came up there and I couldn't coach people that I'd never coached before. Like my confidence was down. I never have met these people before. I was scared. I was a shell of myself and I was, my lips were quivering as I was trying to coach these people through movements that I've, you know, coached my entire life. Um, so Austin and Denise actually turned me down. They said no, uh, the first time that I came up to Boston and, and tried to get a job and they were like, Hey, you need to go back. You need to work on this, 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 and this. 
And once you work on it for a little while, like, you know, hit us back and, you know, maybe you can interview again and we'll see what happens. I no way that did they probably think that, you know, I would go away and work on it and hit them up again. But lo and behold, um, I recognized what the issue was and it was that I was comfortable at my dad's gym. And so I had to go somewhere else where I didn't know anyone. And I actually called up another staff member of ours, uh, Bobby Millsaps. And, uh, I went down to Bobby's gym. It was in uh, South Carolina, down in Columbia. And I coached at her gym for a few weeks and stayed at her house. And I mean, just practiced coaching people that I'd never coached before. And it was actually Bobby that really uh, helped me find my voice and helped me be a bigger, bigger version of myself in front of people and kind of got me out of my shell. And it wasn't but a few months later, I called Austin and Denise back and I was like, hey, listen, like, I'm ready to come up. And I'm ready to crush this interview. Like, let's 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 do it. And uh, I came up for the second time and, you know, the rest is history. You know, that is, I appreciate you sharing that. And I did not know that, but it's cool because the listeners, you know, I hope you take from that. Like some Spencer is, you know, one of the most decorated CrossFit coaches in the world right now. One of the best. And even he, I mean, you didn't get hired. That was a... You know, and I'm sure now in retrospect, you look back on it and you're thankful for Denise and Austin saying no, because, you know, A, you wouldn't have found Bobby, you wouldn't have improved, and you most likely would never have made it on seminar staff without that. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I owe Austin and Denise and Bobby and even my dad. I mean, I owe them a lot for what I do today. So no matter, you know, and it shows you could be one hell of an athlete, which you were even bad, you know, like you said, you're muscle snatching 225. That doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean you're a good coach. No, not at all. And that was, that was, I mean, I was always an athlete growing up and you know, I could do anything that you asked me to do, but you know, I couldn't teach somebody else to do it. So th thinking back on there, you know, you mentioned, okay. And I think this holds true. We all know our athletes, you know, there's Susie, her knees cave in. There's Teresa, she doesn't open her hips. What, outside of that, what were some of the things that Bobby helped you get better at as far as coaching? Uh, I think helping me, once again, be comfortable in my delivery of what I was coaching and being comfortable in front of, you know, X amount of people. You know, sometimes it was five, sometimes it was 20 but being comfortable in those settings, but also being an athlete, being someone who was, you know, very good at what they, what they did on, you know, whatever, whether it be baseball, football, basketball, CrossFit, being able to take what was in my head and relay it to the individuals that I was coaching. And that's, that's what I ultimately really learned to do. Like, all right, what would I do? What is going through my head as I'm performing an air squat? You know, what am I thinking about? Well, these guys would probably want to know the same thing. Like they probably want to know exactly what is going through my head. So I'm just going to say that. And um, that, that really helped, you know, trying to just get out what was in my head and, and relay that to the individuals that I was coaching. And that really helped build my confidence because people reacted very strongly to it in a, in a good way. And once I saw people react in a good way to it, um, that built my confidence, built my confidence rather even more. And that just led to me having fun. And that's ultimately what we want to strive to have all of our coaches do is you should be having fun. 
And if your class isn't fun, then no one's going to want to take your class and no one's going to want to be a part of anything that you're doing. What are some things you do currently now in 2019 to make classes fun? You know, the podcast is best hour of their day and ultimately that's the goal of any class. But what are some things maybe you do unique to Spencer Hendel to provide that best hour? My class is a fucking house party. So, I mean, when you say house party, I'm a product of the 90s. I think kid and play. <laughs> so what do you, when you say house party, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so I, I, I'm just, I just, I'm just so comfortable with, you know, coaching movements and putting people through warmups and making sure that everyone's got challenging scaling options and making sure that everyone's doing what they need to be doing and moving safely, effectively and efficiently that I can focus on other things. Like I can, uh, you know, go talk to people and ask them about their day and you know, how they're doing and, Oh, I haven't seen you in a couple of days. Like what's been up, you know, talk to them about their life. And then, you know, house party, like I'm cranking the best jams. Like I'm not playing slow jams. I'm not playing things that people don't want to work out to. Like I'm playing, you know, the good stuff. And I think it's important that, you know, you're bringing the pain, you're bringing the fire, you're bringing the fun because people like this podcast, you know, the best hour of their day, people want to come to your class and have literally the best hour of their day. They don't want to you know, go to work eight, 10, 12 hours a day and come to your class and be fucking miserable. So, you know, I just feel like I'm able to deliver that and, uh, you know, it's cool. Top five songs to play in a class right now. What are they? <laughs> oh, man. Well, so if you go on SoundCloud, it might be on YouTube, but SoundCloud's what I use. Um, you can type in Two Friends Big Booty. And uh, the two friends, big booty mixes are an hour long. I mean, so really, you don't have to play with any music. You just play these, these mixes. And they're hour-long mixes of just straight jams and beats and, like, rock, hip-hop, like, old-school stuff. Like, it's just an awesome mix that, like, this, you know, this DJ's put together, and it's just super cool. So there's, like, 15 of the – or 16, 16 of these mixes right now. So, I mean, you can – use these things interchangeably day in and day out. Um, but if I don't use that, then I'm usually playing, you know, I, I, I revert to, uh, I refer to um, our good friend Connor Murphy to uh, all things house party related because he's in tune with a lot of that side of the, uh, that side of the, 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 the music. Um, what was the name of that mix again? Two Friends, Big Booty. Two friends, big booty, and SoundCloud's like what millennials use these days instead of like Spotify. Yeah, is that what's happening? I think, that, I, think, I think that's what the kids are using nowadays. Is, um, tell me if this rumor is true. Connor Murphy has four dance moves, and that's it. Oh no, uh, uh-uh. uh, Connor Murphy. Connor Murphy's got all the dance moves. All right, because people are you know talking smack out there that yeah he's decent, but he's only got four moves. No, no, I've 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 seen him do some pretty wild shit. All right. Um, <laughs> No, um, yeah, the two friends mix is good, but if you're going somewhere else, like Flostradamus is great, Dylan, Dylan Francis is awesome, you know, then you got to throw in some, some classic hip-hop, like maybe you throw in some Beastie Boys, maybe you throw in, um, uh, what were we listening to today? And sometimes we'll throw in some Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, Lil John, the Eastside Boys, you know, Get Low. 
you know, there's, you know, you can't, you can't limit yourself to this, you know, house party music all the time. Like sometimes you got to kick it with some classic rock, maybe some classic ACDC, maybe some Rolling Stones. You know? All right. Now you're talking more my speed. You, uh, the only band I had heard of was Beastie Boys, but now, uh, now we're, now you're talking. Now, yeah. You see? So we, we, you know, in, in our mentor group, we talk all things when it comes to developing as a coach, but one thing recently we've been touching upon is how to help coaches understand the intended stimulus of a workout. So you're going to coach a workout, you know, we have to understand what we're trying to get our athletes to do. Now, someone like you that is a beast, I mean, you're at the CrossFit Games two years ago. How do you start to decipher the intended stimulus when you can look at a workout and know that you'll absolutely demolish it? I like, I like looking at time. I think time is a really good indicator of uh, what people should be doing. You know, you look at a workout, even just take a simple workout like Cindy, you know, five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 air squats. Like, you know, even I think a good goal for, for a decent athlete is around a minute. And, um, you know, that being said, you'll have some people that do more, you'll have some people that do less, but I, I think, if you scale an individual to exercises in Cindy that they're able to complete in about a minute, you know, definitely under 90 seconds, I think that those are great scales. So, you know, if that's two pull-ups, great. If that's push-ups from the knees or a 20 or 24-inch box, awesome. If it's 10 air squats a minute, fantastic. You know, so I think time for me has always been uh, a beautiful indicator as to, you know, where people should be scaling to and, and what the intended stimulus is. So you don't necessarily look at what you, I mean, you work out with some beasts as well, um, Austin and James um, amongst a few, you don't necessarily say, okay, this is what I would do. How do I get other people to do that? No, I, I never consider myself as, as, as a way to determine the stimulus. I, I like to think of, you know, the best people that we have in the gym, you know, even though technically, you know, you know, Austin and James, you know, are, are probably obviously the best athletes that we have in the gym, but I'm just regular members. That's what I'm thinking about. Let's talk a little bit about the competitive side of CrossFit. You weren't at the games this year. No, I was not. What was your opinion on the games? Um, I thought it was definitely very interesting. Um, you know, I like I like the way that it's going. Um, you know, you know, it, it clearly worked. I mean, the same people that you know should be there, the final events were there. You know, the fittest fittest people, the the cream of the crop rises to the top. You know, it is it is what it is. This you know we got we got to the same final that we had last year and the year before, so it's all good. Um, I think it took a few people by surprise. I, I think it's going to take a few years to maybe get used to. Um, but I like the idea of the sanctionals. I think, I think over the years, I ultimately wanted the CrossFit season to be kind of like the PGA Tour or NASCAR or something where they had all of these 
competitions like sanctioned competitions all over the world and athletes the best of the best you know traveled to all of these different competitions and they just accumulated points or you know whatever it may be all the way up until the final event which was the CrossFit Games. Um, I think it's heading that way. I think it could head that way. Maybe not. Maybe it'll head a different direction, but I think it would be cool. I think it'd be super cool to have a, a tour card, like a pro tour card and amateur amateur tour card. That's a cool idea. That is a very cool idea. I've heard you talk about this before. Um, are you officially retired or are you, are you still competing? Um, no, I, I don't think um, I'm officially retired, but and I don't think anyone truly is officially retired, but um, um, this year I just didn't didn't want to do it. Um, I didn't want to go team. I didn't want to go individual. And uh, I'm really, really happy that I didn't do it. Um, it's given me time to focus on other parts of my life and, you know, get those things in order. And now, um, you know, who knows, in a few years, you know, maybe Austin and I will get back together and do another team, you know, maybe, you know, go individual, maybe masters, maybe never, who knows, might be done. If you were to get a team together for next season and you can have your pick of any two women and one man, who would it be? Oh, man. I think I, think I would want to do it um, with, you know, people that, obviously work hard um winning is not you know high on my list it would be more about having fun like making it to the games and you know doing well but more about having fun rather than like beating yourself into the ground and you know making sure that you you were gonna win or be on top um I don't know, me probably me and connor and then um back to his wife, Rachel Martinez, and um, our other friend, uh, Ali Bushy. You're throwing it old was, school, that, and you're was, just having a fun was, time. That was a fun, fun year, and uh, I really miss, really miss having those, those guys. So, you know, I spoke to Austin a little bit about this on the show, and James, is it challenging as someone as fit as you are to see that, you know, not necessarily that your fitness is slipping away, but that the sport is just progressing so far and you're kind of watching it a little bit. Is it hard? Is it, you know, is it, is it challenging? Is it just something you accept? Is it, does it make you want to, to get out there and, and train like you used to? No, <laughs> I, uh, I've had so much fun this year. Just like, I've become a beer snob. And so I, I literally will travel hours to go to craft breweries to try these, you know, new beers that they just came out with. And so like, I love trying new beers. I love, you know, eating whatever the heck I want to eat. And I think the thing that I'm into now is I love suffering. I love doing hour, two hour, you know, whatever long workouts where you just just suffer like i have no issues like just doing a long slow grind but i feel like i'm done going to the pain cave i'm in the pain cave i mean like fran like i'm done with fran because i know the amount of hurt and the amount of effort and the amount of 
just sheer disgust that I have to go to in order to, you know, in order to do well on that workout. Right. So you'd almost rather hurt for longer in a less painful way. Yes. I would much rather grind something out over the course of 30 minutes to an hour as opposed to, I'd I'd rather do fucking nine thrusters and nine pull-ups for an hour (laughs) rather than do Fran. Right. So in, in our terms, you would say you'd rather ratchet down the intensity a little bit, but increase the amount of work you're doing. Yes. So, I mean, you're known for these kind of like suffer on Saturday workouts. Is that where that came from? Yep. So throw one out to listeners. Give them, give them a challenge. Oh man. I'd have to go back in my, uh, let me go back in my, uh, my Google doc. Let me see if I can find something. All right. Pull out your most miserable suffer on Saturday or just Spencer handle suffer workout. And we'll give out a prize if anybody completes it. Oh, man. This is going to be good. Because I'm with you. You know, having done CrossFit for 12, 13 years now, intensity hurts. And it I does had, hurt. I had Logan Collins on recently. At, it came in um, 13th this year at the CrossFit Games. He said the worst workout was the sled muscle-up. It was also the shortest, I mean, other than the clean. But it's because, man, that, that just hurts and that's what he said yeah i'm giving you a time i'm giving you a second to look this suffer up yeah 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 give me another question what else you got for me so while you're looking it up talk to me you mentioned you're becoming a beer snob how does that happen how does one accidentally on purpose become a beer snob um i don't think anyone accidentally becomes a beer snob i you know i, I just uh i really like ipas and so it's just, it's just you know, there's so many good breweries here in the Northeast. I mean, we've got two breweries, you know, close, somewhat close by that are some of the top breweries in the world right now. And uh, it's hard not to, uh, you know, want to do something like that. So, so give me two beers. One, okay, give it for someone like me. I don't necessarily enjoy beer. Um, I drink it to get drunk, but not because I enjoyed the taste. Yeah. What's, what's give me a beer that might change my thoughts on that, and that might open up my eyes to more of a, a beer enjoyment, like yourself. Um, well, I think if you had a beer from a place called Trillium or Treehouse, um, Treehouse is in Worcester, um, just outside Worcester in Carleton, uh, Massachusetts, and then Trillium's here in Boston. Um, those two beers would change your life. All right, I'll check that out. And now another, throw out a beer to listeners that are super into beer like you are and maybe they haven't tasted before. Like like the name of a beer or like the brand of beer? Uh, to me, that's one and the same. So, you, you know, I assume if someone's listening and they understood the question, they'll understand what answer you're going to give, that they can go out maybe and, and find it at a local, you know, beer shop. You know, Spencer Hendel recommended this beer, and now I want to check it out. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, you can't find Treehouse or Trillium in stores anywhere. You have to go to the brewery to uh, to get that. Um, 
what's another fun one out there that you can get? I'd have to so I have to actually go down to my uh my beer fridge, which is down in my basement. I have a full beer fridge dedicated to you guessed it, just beer. <laughs> Hence the name beer fridge. So, yeah. So are, are you in Connor right, Murphy? You, you so okay, how about give us one. Afterglow, um, which is by Foundation Brewing Company, which is in Portland. Um, Afterglow is a great is a great beer. Um, How many beers are you drinking a day or a week? Oh, oh, you know, it just depends on the day. You know, some days are better than others. You know, some days are harder harder than others, and you know, some days you just feel like having a couple, throwing a couple back. And and now you and Connor Murphy get together. What happens then? Because we all know Connor Murphy sponsored by Miller Lite. Yeah, Connor is a Connor's a liability. <laughs> he, he is he is a liability. Speaking of Connor, are you going to be on the boat again this year, Water on the Waves? Oh, I will be on Water on the Waves. Yeah, I was telling our group how awesome it was, and Fern and I, as well as my wife Roz, were super excited to be on it again. We had a blast and uh one of the one of the highlights for me not participating was watching the uh fireball 10k oh that was uh that was something yeah i saw you and austin and uh you know a bunch of other well-known athletes that we don't have to <laughs> dive into yeah no yeah enjoying themselves a bit too much after that fireball 10K. that was uh that was pretty awesome we're probably going to do it again this year yeah yeah so if you're if you're unsure about happening on water the waves do it we have our code best hour um and we're going to do some great stuff for the people that use that code so definitely check that out in the meantime did you find a workout for us? I did find a workout. Now, this isn't like a longer workout by any means. It might be a longer workout, but I think it's just a good, like, this is really hard. Um, it's Karen meets JT. All right. So I assume we're going to see some handstand push-ups in there. Tough. Yeah. What is it? So you got 50 wall balls and then 21 handstand push-ups, 21 ring dips, 21 push-ups. Oh, no. Don't tell me we're about to have another 50 wall balls. And then 50 wall balls. Yeah. 15, 15, 15, and then 50 wall balls, 9, 9, and 9. Yeah, that's an apt suffer workout. All right, I'll tell you what. Anybody does that and they post a video on Instagram and they tag Best Hour and they tag Spencer, we will shoot them a little bit of a prize. So get at it. Uh, no time limit, just to completion, because I assume when you do a workout like that, I mean, that's how you develop your handstand push-ups, huh? Yeah, that's a, that's a great pressing uh, capacity builder. Well, cool. I mean, yeah, I, I love suffer workouts, I suppose. Back in the day, I don't know, did you remember they used to put pain storms up? Oh, yeah. I used to follow uh, pain storm. I used to follow, uh, like, seal fit. Like, I used to do, like, seal fit workouts from, like, top to bottom. Seal fit, yeah, those were just, like, two-hour grind sessions. So oh, they, were, they, were, they were awesome. Well, we appreciate you. I know you got to get back to uh, drinking some IPA right now. It's, you know, 2 o'clock or 5 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, it's 5 o'clock anywhere, really. But we appreciate you taking the time to be on the call. Again, Spencer is one of the best coaches in the world. You can catch him at level 1s and level 2s around the world as, as well as what on the ways but anything else you wanted to to add spencer as far as coaches development and helping 
newer coaches or veteran coaches improve at their craft? Yeah, I mean, God, I mean, I have to say that I appreciate you guys listening and I appreciate Jay having me on the, the podcast. But I think, uh, you know, if there's one thing that I think really sheds some light on, you know, what you're doing as far as, you know, bettering other people's lives and, you know, helping them do ultimately what they want to do for the rest of their life, which is, you know, being able to, you know, be with their family and, you know, get through life under their own power is, you just had to have fun. And um, the only way you have fun is you got to care. And unfortunately, uh, the only thing that myself or, you know, any other, you know, veteran coach that you look up to, um, you know, can teach you is we can't teach you how to care. You know, that's something that comes from within. And that's something that uh, you kind of got to figure out for yourself. But, you know, that minute that or that second that you kind of figure out like, Hey, this is what I want to do with my life. You know, I love what I do. You know, I care about these individuals. Like that's the day that you coach your best class. I, I love it. I think um, that's something I've heard our buddy Austin talk about as well as coach Glassman is you have to care. You have to give a shit. And it's clear that you do. Um, you can check out Spencer, Spencer underscore Hendel. Uh, on Instagram, and also you have an ebook, "The Road to a 300-Pound Snatch." The Road to a 300-Pound Snatch, and the Ham Plan uh, is also coming out with um, a pressing ebook. You know, being uh, that you know my pressing is what I've been trying to get better at my entire career. We're coming out with a, a pressing ebook, so be on the lookout for that one. What is there? Is there a shortcut to a 300-pound snatch? Um, unfortunately. You know, there is not a shortcut to a 300-pound snatch. Even all the steroids in the world you can take, and you probably, you know, doesn't guarantee you a 300-pound snatch. Yeah, I've tr I tried that. It didn't work. I got to, <laughs> I got to 185. Well, if they want to learn more, they can certainly download that. And there's – what's your best snatch ever? What's your lifetime PR? Uh, three, 308. 308. What do you think you can do right now if I said go warm up? you got 20 minutes. Oh, 275. Yeah. I know. That's so terrible. Everyone listening is like, you know, that's their deadlift. But hey, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. And maybe you should read the book. I I need to get back on the book. <laughs> exactly. But, but I, need, I need I need to get back on the program. You yeah, you know what? I've no doubt you can do it um to this day. I'm sure you can still snatch three hundred. But I'm looking forward to I'll see you on one of the waves, and I'm sure I'll see you before that. I'll see you at the uh, Trainer Summit in October. And like I said, enjoy yep. the rest of your day. Thanks for being on. All right. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. And just so you guys know, it is bonus week. We're going to be bringing you an episode every day, Monday through Friday this week. And we've got some great great interviews and episodes coming your way. Check out besthouroftheirday.com if you haven't already, and you can find us on social media at besthouroftheirday or email us besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.